0: The new year is young, but we've already gotten a lot of mail, so I thought it might be nice to start the show off with a letter. This one's from Emily from Chicago, Illinois. She writes, Dear Alex, I spent the holidays pouring through the archives of Stereo Embers, and I loved every episode. Each one was interesting, focused, and probing, but in a really natural way. So cool. But more importantly, I want to thank you for not running ads where you pretend to be interested in lame products that podcast hosts are always selling. I appreciate you for not shilling like that. It turns me off and has chased me away from many shows that I used to love. Thank you for not falling victim to greed and shameless consumerism. Well, thank you, Emily, for such a great letter, and thank you for listening. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, Let's get to the show. Before we start, let me ask you this. Are you tired of waking up in the morning and feeling like you can't get out of bed? Well, you don't have to feel that way any longer, thanks to Energy Omega Organic Vitamin Packs. All you have to do is simply slip the dissolvable farm-to-table sourced pack into your coffee, and in just minutes, you'll want to attack the world. I'm just kidding. This is all fake. We're proud and penniless. By the way, I love that those energy packs were (laughs) farm-to-table. Good God. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of my guest today on the program, Esther Bolent. Let me tell you a little bit about Esther Bolent. Born in Budapest, Esther Bolent relocated to the United States and, as a 10-year-old, found herself in New York living with the avant-garde squat theater troupe, which was founded by her dad. Now, being surrounded by artists was no new thing for the violin-playing actress who actually came from generations of artists. Her father was also a poet, her grandfather was a renowned visual artist, and her great-grandfather was one of the premier intellectuals and art critics at the turn of the century in Hungary. Now, Balint acted in the troupe, and living amongst writers, painters, actors, and visual artists had an instant effect on her sensibility and her career path. In other words, it wasn't likely she was going to be a realtor. By 15, she was playing violin on a song produced by the artist Basquiat, And not long after, she started appearing in movies. I actually remember her being on my radar when I was 14, and I saw her in Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise. Since then, she's appeared in movies like Woody Allen's Shadows and Fog, The Linguini Incident, and Steve Buscemi's Trees Lounge. She also had a several-episode arc on Louis C.K.'s sitcom Louis. Bolint has put out a handful of staggeringly great solo albums, including classics like Mud and Airless Midnight. And her new one, I Hate Memory, is a stirring song cycle that explores Balint's trajectory from communist Hungary to the vibrant non-stop life of Lower Manhattan in the early 80s. In fact, this is such a powerful song cycle, it gave rise to the anti-musical version that was staged at Manhattan's beloved Joe's Pub. I love this record. It rings with poeticism, artistry, and conviction. It's evocative, it's sonorous, and it's truly unforgettable work. And this conversation, equally unforgettable. Esther Belint is a a one-of-a-kind, and I loved talking to her. I can't wait for you to meet her. So here you go. Me and Esther Belint having a very powerful and thoughtful conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: like, uh, you know, and it's, it's just sort of wonderful that my album is coming out, but I'm also like a one person operation and everything is so DIY. Um, I have Howard helping me who you dealt with and, and my distributors are doing their thing. But other than that, I'm my own label manager, administrator, publicist. I mean, Howard is my publicist, but like, I still have to do a lot of, publicity for my shows and so it's it's a little bit like disorienting because i'm doing a lot of the kind of work that's not why i do this right um but we did have a record release show a few days ago that was pretty great and then i remembered while i was on stage like ah right this is why we do all the other stuff
0: yeah you have to i did that with my with my last book i did the same approach. And I didn't do great at the administrative element of it because you think so much about creating the art and then to become the business side. It's a hard transition sometimes.
1: For some people, it's easier. For me, it's damn near impossible, but I have no choice but to do it. But it's not good for my soul, I have to say. And in an ideal world, there really should be another person doing that stuff for you. It's it's just uh, it's it's kind of crazy and weird, but playing the music and like rehearsing with the band and performing with the band was makes it all worth it.
0: In the old days, the mechanism was in place where there were people. There was a pit crew of people. What what has ultimately changed that? I
1: have. Well, you know, as as we know, everything about the business has changed and I didn't even try to get a label this time. I could maybe have gotten a label, but there were so many things about this project that had made it slow down that I did not want to take on one more thing that might make it slow down. I uh, Well, we had a little thing called the pandemic, which you may have heard about. Yes. Um, And so that that really slowed things down, and and it's just been so hard to get momentum. So I, I didn't... Well, what else has changed since the old days? I mean, I, I even had a manager once upon a time. I had, I had a label. I, um, I don't know. It just oh, we, we this whole like new digital reality is where we're. It's it is just absolutely assumed that we're our own promoters all the time for our own gigs, and I don't think that's quite the way it used to be. We had maybe an email list in the olden days, we would send out one email and the rest of it was like, you know, let's hope the village voice lists it or the, you know, you get a little, but now it's just assumed that you post on Instagram 300 times a day and all that kind of stuff. I just think it's the nature of the beast. It's just really, really, really changed. And I'm still kind of old school in that way. I, I, I wish that I, I um, mean, it sounds really super spoiled, but I wish I could just be more the the creator person and the performer person and less the administrator
0: person. Yeah, no, I understand that. Have you recovered, do you think, from the sort of malaise of the pandemic um, with all these other potential pandemics looming? Um, had, do you, have you recovered professionally? Do you feel that there's a, a restoration?
1: I, I've feel that I've been slowly over the last year. I never totally put the brakes on. The pandemic was such a mind fuck for, ooh, we're probably not supposed to curse.
0: No, no you're, you, can, you can curse. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, because I was working on the live show of this uh, project, right before the pandemic, and we were set to open in March 2020. And I invested so much at by that point already. Um, so it really pulled the rug out from under me, and I, I didn't just go quietly uh, whimpering under a blanket. I was like, well, I got to do something. So I, that's when I basically started the recording process. And that was also very challenging during the pandemic, but I did it in fits and starts. I worked on a screenplay version of this, believe it or not, which I've kind of presided right now just because I'm really working the live piece of it. Um, and but what I really missed was the the live performing during the pandemic um so I did the screenplay I did the record I was I kept myself pretty busy during the pandemic but um the live performing was really something I missed I didn't know how much I would miss it and I was not one of these people that could really get next to the whole zoom performances thing that just didn't work for me um so am I recovered? It the, We've done a couple of live shows at Joe's pub and there was always like a, by the skin of our teeth, is somebody going to be sick? Somebody did get sick. We had to find a replay. I mean, it was like, like this the whole time, like just, uh, but we did it and it, it takes a toll, but I'm just glad that we're easing back into doing it. And, uh, more than ever, I just realized by how much I missed it, that I I want to do more live shows as much as possible.
0: Maybe. How are you in terms of self-preservation, staying healthy? Now that factors in, you and I are around the same age. And I think about that stuff now, you know, I'm a teacher and, um, you know, I need, I need my voice. I can't get, I can't get sick. I got, you know. How does that factor in now to all of, to this whole endeavor, this creative endeavor? Well, (laughs) you know,
1: we're all wired so differently and the pandemic really brought that to the fore. I am not that self-preservation-y. That's not my my number one uh, go-to place of concern or area of neuroses or not neuroses, perfectly Fine to worry about your health, but I'm maybe I'm I'm very neurotic in that I can go a little bit into denial. I'm, I'm, so I'm okay with that piece of it, but I was really not okay with the. Uh, life is stopping, and we don't know for how long. And performing is stopping, and we don't know for how long. And my creative project is stopping, and we don't know for how long. That was where I went into kind of panic mode.
0: Do you consider yourself to be a, a like a patient person, or do you find that you get you get sort of? No. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm too old to be patient. <laughs> that, that's a quote right there. That's a bumper sticker. <laughs>
0: that <is. laughs> that's. Um, yeah. That that might know, be the name of your autobiography.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and and you know, when, and when we're babies, then we're impatient because we're too young to be patient. So somewhere in there in between, there's probably a sweet spot for a minute. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I just mean that there is that there is this, I mean, not to get all existential on you, but there is this angst eventually, right? That like, we only have a finite amount of time on this earth to do our work. So like Who has time for patience?
0: Right, right. I, you know, I'm a writer and I always thought that there was this infinite, you know, space ahead of me in my future until I turned 45, right? And now I'm 52. And in the last seven or eight years, I have been very acutely aware that I better figure out what books I'm going to write because time, the hourglass is the sand is more than halfway, right?
1: So you know what I'm talking about. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a sense of urgency, you know, in in terms of also recognizing looking back the the time that was perhaps wasted or or not used super efficiently.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm I'm also in a funny place. Uh, It kind of relates in that I raised a child and he's gone off to college last year. So I have a little bit of a new, eh, like that was a huge um, project that I loved, but it was not allowing me to fully devote my time to the project of my art. And uh, he's still of course, very much a part of my world and daily life and still needs parenting in a lot of ways. but. It's also a new leaf for sure that he's gone off to college. so so there's a kind of hunger to uh, to create, to create. and raising a kid is a kind of creation. so that was satisfying that to a certain extent.
0: Uh, comparatively, I raised a cat. So I have
1: <laughs> I hear that. I'm a big fan of raising cats. I have one right now that you might hear very rudely meowing
0: I did hear it before um but I don't have an excuse but I but I do think that there is something to be said about right you've raised your son he's in college and now you have more space to be creative has that yielded a crop of potential projects that are sort of lining themselves up and waiting to be brought into the world
1: I think this has really been the project that I've been fully immersed in and this is pretty ambitious. It's got a lot of different tentacles. It's got the album component. I even went off and wrote a screenplay. It's got this hybrid show version, which we've been developing at Joe's Pub. And I think eventually it wants to be a bigger theatrical work, which we're working on developing and fleshing out and hopefully you know, finding a space and producer for, but um, so it's, it's preoccupied me a lot, but I would say that I threw myself into this work uh, more wholeheartedly than I had thrown myself into a project for a good number of years because of having to raise a child. But of course, then the pandemic came. So it really interrupted this process for me right at the wrong time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, when those years that you weren't tending to it, was it sort of percolating in your brain?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm always I'm always creating something. And I did put an album out five, six years ago. I don't know, maybe six. um, And had been having performances and had been. I've been toiling away at this project actually for quite a few years, off and on. Um, I started it with Stu, and and so we we wrote the songs first, and then I started writing the text. This is this is a bigger project for sure. It's taken some time. So I, I've been working. It wasn't like I was just child rearing twenty four seven, but
2: right.
1: was a, yeah. But it was a little more tricky, and I had. I I had to transition from one modality to the other more frequently.
0: And that's hard. I mean, somebody asked me once "What the hardest part is about being a writer. And I said, the hardest part is when you have to stop and go to work when you can't do it, when you, when you can't do it because life and the practicality of putting food on the table rears its head and you have a class waiting for you, or you have your son needing help with the homework. And Those, those moments are hard moments because you want to create and you can't, you know, you can't, um, how did, how did you deal with that stuff?
1: Well, I, I am slow anyway. I maul things over for a long time and I kind of have to get to the point that I'm about to burst or, or, or things are about to burst before I, I put it out into the world. Um, so it sounds like you're, you're wired a little differently. I wish I were more like that. Like, I just want to, I just want to put it out there and create all the time. And I just can't because I have to go grocery shopping. Um, (laughs) uh, I want to get there. And I'm working on that. But um, and maybe I'll have questions for you about that. How you do that? (laughs) For, for, but for me, it's a, it's a slower, slightly more timid process. Uh, I would put my feet in the wall, and then and then there comes a point where it's like, uh, it's, it's got to go. And then when when it gets to the point where I'm working with other people, and there's a kind of give and the take, whether it's musicians playing my songs, or with Stu, it was quite collaborative with the writing of the songs, which I hadn't really done before or whether it's rehearsing uh, with my director for the live show version, then it's like, that's the point at which I'm coasting and I'm like, oh, I could do this forever, all the time. This is, this is now it's in that place of play.
0: When you, like maybe 30, 40 years ago, were you creatively, was there more momentum or have you always been like this?
2: Well, I was doing very different
1: things uh, 30 years ago. I mean, I always knew that I had to get to that to that place of play that we were just talking about where you know There's there's a whether it's bringing it out to the audience or working with someone or best of all worlds all of the above Uh, But I think that was always a part of me because I grew up in this theater group. We did theater work Then I made some movies. I was in in the acting world So I think that was always a part of me to work towards that goal um, but I was always a little like in, working, toiling away on my own and fits and starts and, and feeling my way through new ideas, kind of in a little bit more slow, simmery way. Are, are, are your, are your ideas just bursting out of you all the time?
0: Well, yeah, but they're not necessarily good. They just sort of, you know, I think I've become better as, as, as i become older to sort of recognize I'm going to let that one burst and just go away because it, it can go into orbit because it's not, it's not, uh, I can recognize what is going to be worth pursuing. So that's the only difference, I think. Um, right,
1: right, right.
0: But, you know, so maybe there's that, but I do think that there's, uh, this is a theory I have Esther. I, it may be wrong, but I. It certainly, and it could be a gendered issue, I don't know. But it seems like for young men of 17, 18, 19, 25, 26, it seems like libido is a really loud note that's being played in one's head. And there's a creative bursting that seems in tandem with that. And as you get older, obviously things slow down in that department. And I think that might bring a certain kind of you know, calmness perhaps to to the work? I don't know. That's just a theory.
1: It's it's interesting that you mentioned, because I do think there, that gender plays a role. I, I wouldn't have thought of it in those terms necessarily, although that is, sounds totally valid. Um, but I, I, and I don't want to get all political and I don't want to, uh, uh, about this or, or obvious about this, but I think for millennia you know society hasn't necessarily nurtured women being um just devoting their entire lives to bursting creativity day in day out in the same way that it has often patted on the back and nurtured men doing that and so i think there is a deep societal conditioning that's in our dna about that if i may be so bold as to say
0: that i think you're right and i think that it's it's great to watch women who, who sort of avoided that kind of, you know, um, sort of uh, tendency, and they kind of went, forget it. I'm just I'm I'm doing it this. I think you know in many ways, like maybe Joni Mitchell was like producing a lot of work in the in those. There there are, there are examples, but I do think you're right about that. that there is a kind of, I mean, even someone like Serena Williams, who I'm a, who I'm really fond of. She said, you know, I felt this pressure to have a family. And if I didn't, I would have had 30 more Grand Slam titles. But I felt like this is something and I wanted to do it. But I felt like if that wasn't there, I would have had a much different trajectory.
1: Absolutely, and I also felt that pressure. I, I've i always wanted to have a kid, so it's it's the thing that I have the least inner conflict about, you know, as a life path, probably. Um, I'm very happy I did that. and." But I definitely had a vision of what I'm supposed to do that is not quite realistic and that I don't think and that I think is not uncommon for women to to try to pursue and would be almost unimaginable and laughable for for men to imagine that they're supposed to be, you know, I mean, you know, I, I used to even beat myself up when I had a toddler, like, how come I'm not? We make, I actually did put an album out right when my son was born, and that was a really good time because when they're just little tiny babies, you can just pop them in a little rocking chair. And, <laughs> but then when they're like two and eating everything off the floor, and <laughs> it's different. So, yeah, I used to kind of think that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't do both with full steam ahead um and make a lot of money and whatever so i think i think as women we we just we just have have a lot more tasks that we feel like we're supposed to have a handle on and um i think that's at least a part of the story there
0: and also the idea that that there's also a time limit on that must be that would produce a lot of anxiety i think for that men don't have to deal with that obviously Um, so I would imagine throw that in the mix and then you've got a real, you know, a lot of tension around that, around creativity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, Uh,
1: but, but it's always been, whether it's a low hum of static in my mind or just like, I cannot exist one more minute without doing this thing, creativity making something, doing something, engaging my mind and my psyche and my soul in that way has always been at least a low hum that drive my whole life. So
0: in other words, it's not an option to not be right.
1: It's not an option. And if I played with maybe that's a, but that's an maybe it's not, maybe it can be an option when I was younger, I've definitely learned over the years. It's not an option.
0: Not an option. Yeah, it's
1: for me, for me.
0: Yeah, and and for me either. I, I mean, I totally understand that, and I think that, which is also kind of a nice thing to know.
1: Yes, yes. Right? It's another one of the youth is wasted on the young things. Like I wish I was as sure of that a couple of decades ago as I am now, because I I would have you know yeah might have done some things a little differently, or I would have you know
0: yeah. But if someone had told me what I know now, when I was younger, I would have ignored it. I wouldn't have done anything with it anyway.
1: That's true. That's true. And, and, and that constant questioning of everything is actually probably a good and necessary part of, of being young and growing up. And it's kind of what gives us the confidence as we get older, like, like there's actually meat behind this knowledge. It's not just a cocky or I just made a decision. It's like, a lived experience is what gives me this knowledge that there's no other option for me.
0: That's right. Which kind of leads me into the next thing I was thinking about. You know, memory is such an enormous component of this project. And I'm mm-hmm. feeling that at, at our age, I kind of think you have two choices. And, and please tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> this is just a theory. Another one of my theories. My theory is, is that you get either really nostalgic or the opposite. Or you move relentlessly forward, and you don't, you do not curate a museum of your life.
1: Right, I I kind of agree with you, and but I try to find an 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 in between. I'm I'm actually more of the latter school. Me too. Which is weird. That when I that which is why it's very uncomfortable for me this project in a way. But I like uncomfortable discomfort. I'm at home in discomfort. I grew up in discomfort, I'm, so uh, don't don't ever propose a challenge to me because I'll probably take it. Um, so I decided to tackle the difficulty of looking back. You know, and it's still uncomfortable. I've done these songs a number of times now, and I have written a lot of text, and I've worked really hard on polishing the language and I'm still working on it around the songs for the live show. And I still go into that place of like, I don't want to curate a museum, you know, that, oh, but what can I do? I'm, I can either not do it at all. Or do it and incorporate what this is which is what I did, is incorporate that tension and and kind of give that a metal layer in the project itself. Um, because I think there are good stories that you don't really have a right to rob other people of. And and I think that there is a kind of oral history component and an, almost like a journalistic component. And there's also a, a sense of play and discovery in, in what emerges now, which I'm still discovering new layers about what emerges, about what is essential, what isn't, what was important, what wasn't. So I don't have a neat solution to, the, to, to how I resolve the tension between those two schools, but I'm just
2: trying. There's a fireplace full of holes, full of light. Full of chaos has a human face It's full of our reflections What kind of fireplace has no damn fire This kind with the shitty marble mantle Where children gather and listen To a poorly strummed guitar Yeah, we're living it up in the hotel lobby The outcast performers And miscast spectators In the mystical blackness You'd call this anti-cast A group of characters today And one lit another cigarette When the city went black And any place is your home The hotel manager's handing out advice to foreigners. Go get some more matches. The bodega guy's even giving them away. And one lit another cigarette when the city went black. Just make do Who needs yeah. In the apocalypse We listen To that poorly strung guitar And we ain't going nowhere Cause it's very dark out Yeah, we feel safe in the blackout of seventy seven. Yeah, we feel very safe because any this place is your home.
0: where does the discomfort live? Like where what is the most uncomfortable like. element? <laughs>
1: in that heaving sensation that's coming up (laughs) um i think it's okay i'll say a word but i don't want to alienate anybody listening by by getting too dark and psychological but for me it's just very personal shame i have a i have a shame um Wiring. I think we all have a bit of that. It's very human. It's very common. But I think there is there is a little bit of shame in looking backwards and in looking at things that I got wrong. You know, in um, in quote unquote talking about myself. There's there's a, a little bit of shame in that. There's there's even this tension. Of, of I'm actually a little bit hard to believe because I'm a performer but I'm a little bit of an introvert so there's there's this almost shame shameful so I, I guess that's the word I would say when you say where does it live does that it, does that make sense to you it does
0: and and shame is so specific right to yeah. um and that's a tough one because it really is shame is connected to something much bigger isn't it like yep
1: yeah, yep. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and believe me, I don't want to dwell on the shame of it. And, and I I would even say that 90% of the time now I'm able to transcend it. And that this project is kind of glorious in that way, because it is making me transcend it. And the song can always transcend shame. Song is the magic, right? And, and so I'm kind of working it out that way, I think. And Basically, but but I think if it weren't for Stu being very encouraging, that that I'm I'm a witness to a special time and place, and these stories deserve to to be told. Um, if it weren't for his encouragement, I probably would have my my reflex would have been like no.
0: Right, right. It's funny you said the word reflex. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask you using the word reflex. Have you had that moment where? the shame reflex would would inadvertently kick in and you have blocked it from kicking in.
1: Uh I don't why do you have some good tricks on how to successfully block <laughs> it? <laughs> you talk about that after I, I
0: have I, I don't. There pill
1: for that? Do they make do they make like a kind of anti-shame pill now?
0: It would sell very well. Um but you know, I think the,
1: like, heroin. The heroin is the closest thing to it, probably. Probably
0: that's probably right. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the healthiest, but probably the most swift. <laughs> but you know the.
1: No, I haven't. I haven't really successfully blocked it. I have transcended it. Okay. I just connect. It. Oh wait, maybe maybe this is, maybe this is something that's forming in my head right now. But maybe to some extent connection and connection through creating art work, uh, is a little bit the antidote to shame. Is that possible?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's stronger than shame. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How are you with compliments?
1: Yeah. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, I, 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 it's funny you ask that. Cause I, I just did a show. Well, you ask such good questions. I, I'm, I'm being too honest, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I just did a show and it actually went very well. And I, and I got a lot of compliments after, and I was so happy to connect during the show, but then after when the compliments came, I did feel this internal unease building up in me. And even after when I came home, like, I was like, okay, I'm sick of myself kind of reaction a little bit. And at the same time, like, I'm happy that it worked and I'm happy that it connected to people, that nothing makes me happier than that. So at the end of the day, all this other bullshit, it's just like, it doesn't really matter. I I just need to work it out.
0: Right, but did that reaction, did it surprise you that, that people gave you such goodwill and it connected and they loved it and everything went the way an artist would hope it goes. And then you come home and you're like, I'm sick of myself. It's such a, it's such a specific reaction to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, I think when I was really young, I I probably would have been let ego lead the way more, and I would have been like, "Yeah, I'm feeling that unease, and the solution to that is more and more, right?" And we all we can all go back to that, and that's such a trap. Um, and yet, it's so human that that unending craving for for filling that. But now I'm a little smarter than that, and I know that that's not quite the solution. So. Um, what am I left with? Yeah, the compliments part was like wonderful, but but I did start to feel this unease building up. I'd still much rather have compliments than than you know people walking out without saying anything. And well, know, yeah, dirty. don't get me wrong, I'm not right. I'm not complaining. I have no right to complain. <laughs> um,
0: but it is interesting that it that it sort of set off this kind of discomfort. Yeah. When- yeah. But it's what you wanted anyway.
1: Yes, yes. Um, interestingly, though, while I was singing the song, I didn't have the discomfort, and people were applauding, or you know, and I felt the audience really connecting to what I was doing. I didn't feel the discomfort.
0: Mm. It was only afterwards. It, yeah. 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 I understand that too. I I have become very awful at taking compliments now and i think it's yeah it's weird what happened i think I, autom- I automatically have this sort of missile defense system that just blocks them immediately you know i've got this like sort of um this kind of uh uh, Israeli technology that kind of like just deflects better than anything in the world. That if a compliment comes my way, I do my very best to dodge it for whatever reason. And I wow. think, you That's know, amazing. one of the nice things about getting older and it's not a long list, but one of the nice things is that the ego that you're talking about is mine's gone. Like I used to have one and it's not there anymore and I don't miss it. And I do think that because the ego has gone when the compliments come, I can feel the old ego resurfacing and then turning into a bucket with a hole in it where it'll never be enough. Right.
1: That's what, that's what I was just saying before about the like I could I could remember a feeling of of wanting more. Like, ooh, I'm starting to feel that unease from the compliments. And the only possible solution could be more, more, more. And now I'm no longer fooled by that idea at all. Right.
0: Right. That's a beautiful thing about getting older. Yeah. Right. I I think so. And I, and I do think, you know, the idea of memory, you know, even like this show is about right now, right. We're sort of like, you've led a really interesting life and we could talk all day about, you know, Jim Jarmusch and, and, um, and Louis C.K. Like that'd be fun, but that's already, that's to me, that's material that has already been out there right the challenge is like how are you doing right now in this moment and I think I've made the show that way because I'm trying to live that way where I'm trying not to be nostalgic I'm trying to. the rearview mirror is not interesting to me I'm more interested in in, you know what's what's going to happen tonight tomorrow than what happened yesterday
1: so much right and and that's the joy of it that's absolutely the joy of it uh and, and that's kind of the joy of doing live theater too, right? It's got so much magic of the present moment in it. Um, so and, and, and a live concert too. And so it's the only way to talk about this stuff for me is like to bring it into the present moment in that way and let's see what happens tonight and what new thing I discover about this project tonight. And like that.
0: Because the electricity of not knowing is exciting.
1: Very much so. And ironically, it makes this project very meta. There was a lot of that in this era and in this community that I'm describing. So I, I'm i actually, you know, attempting to kind of recreate a flavor of that in the present moment for me. You know, I'm not going to recreate that community. I'm not going to. But I'm not that interested in a in a framed coffee table book about it. I'm interested in giving you a little flavor of it now as you're sitting there watching it or hearing the songs or, you know, of, of that el- electricity is a good word.
0: Is your, um, you've always struck me as I've listened to you for years and you've always yeah. struck me yeah, I mean, I just, just love what you do, and and uh, and we've we've covered you on the magazine before. We're, I know all... you
1: guys have been really good to me. Thank we you. We love you. Guys. We love you. I love Stereo Embers. You guys have been great. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're huge fans, and you've always struck me. You know, there's that myth making, right? But you've always struck me as someone who would be a very good friend. Um, like somebody who is reliable and you tend to your friendship, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm basing this off of nothing, Esther, but just my perception of you, the people you work with, the career that you've had, um, it seems to me like you're a reliable, good friend. Would you, would you characterize yourself in that way?
1: I'm usually a compliment deflector too, like you, and, and yet I will say that I, I think I am actually. I think that's, that is one of my assets. I think I've been told I'm very loyal. Um, so not my words. (laughs) And, uh, and I think that I can be a good listener and, uh, I really value friendships. That's another cool thing about getting older. I don't know if that's happening for you. But for me, as I get older, I feel like, man, friendship is where it's at. It really is.
0: It's the best.
1: All around. Absolutely. I mean, there's like, there's like five things in the world that matter, you know, and friendship is really up there in the top three, probably.
0: I'm with you, I'm with you on that because that's. I also think that's where true love lives, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, in your friendships. And I have my friends that I speak to every day. I have friends that I literally speak to them every day, and I need it. I need to do it.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That, yeah, I, 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 need your friends. I would like those. <laughs> I have friends that I speak to often, but ev- maybe not every day. I, but I, lo- I like that. Yes, it's really, it's, a, it's a lovely thing.
0: It's, you know, I'm Jewish. We like to, we we like to check in, you know, I'm Jewish. We we check in, we we check in a lot. So I do check in.
1: Oh, and you just, you just reminded me of, of like home because, you know, my grandfather in Hungary was a brilliant artist, actually, Um, painter, collage maker, um, just really prolific. And Fully devoted to his art. And, and he was my Jewish side of my family. Um, so he was Jewish and he, he was also in this kind of tribe and community of fellow artists and colleagues. And I remember whenever I would hang out at my grandparents' house, every day he and his fellow Jewish artist friends would check in on each other and chat and make really funny jokes every day. And that it's such a beautiful thing.
0: And I think I'm glad you said that because I I do feel that it comes from some kind of ancestral thing. I've never been able to put my head around it, but like, you know, uh-huh. it's a thing that I have automatically just gravitated to
1: wonderful. And I don't think our society today here in America, particularly right now in this moment, values that at all um, or not sufficiently for sure. And, um, and it's affected all of us. I'm not even just pointing the finger at some other entity that's to blame. I think we've all been affected by a society that doesn't really place very high value on that. Um, even in doing this show, I never set out to make a show about friendship. And the friendship is just one of its many themes, but it has really struck me as we've developed it and, and as I wrote some of the language how how crucial and how big a part of that is and and again it's a place where there where there is no shame funny you know yes we were sometimes bad friends to each other yes a lot of our friends were drug addicts fucked up whatever some of them died some of them but when when it worked uh you know beneath all that thing of being cool and all the amazing music what also was the glue in this community? It was just plain old ordinary friendships,
0: right? When you break it all the way down, it's just like we were friends.
1: Yeah, it's just like oh, you're interested in similar things that I'm interested in. Let's let's share this world.
0: Yeah, and I've I've also found that with my friends who are artists, like I've never been competitive with people, only with myself. Um, I've always been very happy for other people. I've never coveted other people's fame um, or success because as a writer, I'm very under the radar and I'm okay with that. And I think that um, I've always been sort of happy to write and produce the things I really want to do. but I've always been very thrilled for other people's successes. I'm sure you have.
1: I have. Their, their, I've had my dark moments, <laughs> and I think those always go back to me questioning myself and feeling insecure. Never about. Uh, I actually love being inspired by my friends and colleagues more than anything that it gives me so much joy when I see something that genuinely excites me. And it's never like, uh, why didn't I think of that? It's like, oh, my God, I'm kind of thinking of it right now, too. And and I'll do something else with, with, with that, you know, same similar or similar spark. That's so wonderful. But there have been times when I felt like, what am I, you know, there was this, this nasty itch. I couldn't scratch. Like, what am I doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong because I'm not. And, and again, I've kind of started to outgrow that those voices, thank God, but we're human.
0: We are. And and I think uh, to me, the only time I ever would react weirdly is if I see something that I didn't think was really any good and it was just, you know, skyrocketing across the world. And I would think, like, what's wrong with me that I don't get how that could be?
1: Yeah, yeah. That
0: might yeah. be the only time.
1: That's the only time. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really the times probably that I've been more bugged too. Yeah.
0: Right.
2: If something
1: is genuinely inspiring, it's it's like such a great, great feeling.
0: It is. It, it is. And and you've been around some amazingly inspiring people and. Um, I wonder as a collaborator, have you have you always been someone who is very good at collaborating or is that something that you developed?
1: It's really hard. And actually, when you say that. Um, am I a good friend? And I think I'm a very good friend, but I think my I can be tricky, perhaps as a collaborator in, in that it's, it's, it's very tricky because what I do is I really do have a vision and in the service of the work is where I can be a little bit like demanding and, uh, maybe not as mellow as I would like to be. Um, and it's oh my God, I'm such a bitch in a way because I want the best of all possible worlds. So like, I want it to be, I, I think I have discernment about my work that I, I know what I want it to be. I don't want to let go of my ideas about it, but I want this incredible harmonious uh, collaboration of people kind of getting it and saying, oh, I see you and I'll help you execute that thing. You know, Um so it's not really fair because it's asking someone to, to tune their ears to me. And then, I don't know, it's, it's just complicated because I love working with people. Uh, I'm not a megalomaniac who needs to do everything all alone. But at the same time, I, I do have a vision that I can be pretty stubborn about. So it's a, it's a trick. It's just a tricky negotiation. That's all. I feel like I've worked really well overall with my director, Lucy, and, 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 you know, just the fact that she gets excited about my writing and, and wants to bring her ideas to it. It's like such an honor, really,
0: honestly. Well, you mentioned the best of all possible worlds and to, to sort of, you know, use a, a, like Voltaire, for example, like, that in candide where that phrase comes up a lot and the sort of the secret is is that you know the last sentence of that novel is you have to tend your own garden right and so tending your own garden is you tending your garden there's no collaboration there at all but it's essential that you that you do collaborate to make that garden even better so i understand what you mean
1: okay good i'm glad you do and and in a way like Film directors since the dawn of time can probably relate to this because it's sort of what they do, right? They rely on a lot of people's collaborative input, uh, but it's still their vision at the end of the day.
0: Right, right. So it remains, it remains your garden. You just have a couple people help you dig a few holes.
1: Yes, but that's my favorite place. That's where I thrive. That garden is where I thrive. I'm not necessarily someone who just wants to lock myself in all alone. Till the day I die, and and be working complete solitude. But I'm also not someone who could probably be just one member of a band and just do that for the rest of my life, or you know, something like that.
0: Can you take a note? Like, are, are how do you receive notes in terms of like criticism or helpful?
1: I think I I think um, I look for notes from people I trust. I really do. Um, if shame arises out of that, that's my problem and I need to deal with it. And maybe I need to like work metabolize that for a minute, but I'm with the few people that I, that I trust and that I ask, I really appreciate notes overall. I think it gets a, a little sloppy and weird. I don't know how you are about this when just anybody gives you notes. Mm. And um, and you're not really sure where they're coming from. It can get confusing.
0: Yeah, when, when people who aren't in your sort of um, starting lineup of people you accept notes from, and when they, yeah. I have someone who I knew who used to say to me, can I give you some feedback? And I, and I went, I'm going to, I just braced myself for like, you know, I'm not going to listen to any of this, but like, right. So yeah, like if they're not in your starting lineup, then you're resistant to it. Cause you didn't ask for it.
1: Yeah. Right. Yes. Or if someone gives you feedback and it can feel devastating, and then you realize that Wow. They didn't even, they're, you, you know, you look at their work and you realize that they're coming from a totally different world or something, but you already wasted a lot of hours being devastated and feeling like you failed. Right. So, you know, there's feedback is a tricky thing, but we we should have guidelines on how to do it. Actually, Lucy, my director does, and I don't know her. She has like a method, but we should have we should have guidelines.
0: So you're very receptive to Lucy.
1: I am, and there are yeah. a few other people too. Um, and uh, it's like it's like all the other things I'm talking about. There's no. It's not like a clear yes or no answer. It's not like no. I never want to hear feedback. It's not that at all, and it's also no like. Oh, I can take any feedback anytime at all, and I'm just it bounces off me if it's not useful. No, I take it all in. I'm actually very thin-skinned. I'm very sensitive, not thin-skinned in in a way that I react in a nasty way, but just I take it in, and I and I'm i sen- I'm sensitive.
0: <laughs> we're sensitive so. we're sensitive people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> how about yeah. you? How, how are you with feedback?
0: You know, I think I'm pretty good because I feel like I have. I know I'm. I, my whole goal is to like be like Lou Reed, you know, where it's sort of like so self assured, you know, yeah. that like that I know what I know what I'm guarding, and I know I know it's worth guarding, and know I know it's worth standing up for, and that also mm-hmm. makes me understand the stuff that I feel flimsy about. If people point it out, I'm very receptive to it, especially with the people that are that I you ask for advice from. Um, I always feel like the reason why I mentioned Lou Reed is I feel like he was so his, so self-actualized as an artist that you couldn't talk, you probably couldn't talk him out of the things he was committed to. He, he was very, I want to be that confident. I haven't gotten there yet, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm reaching Lou Reed ish, <laughs> like, you know, certainly not the quality, but, but, this, being that assured,
1: but that's an inner confidence you're talking about, right? Not just a posture of,
0: yeah, 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 the posture yeah. I'm terrible at. but the it, feeling like, okay, like this this thing I'm writing is not in step. This is not going to even this is not in step with the mainstream or even with the under who knows, but it's but it is what I want to do. And I think I have to be faithful to that before I'm faithful to anything else. And I feel like Lou Reed, i don't know what i'm talking about but i feel like early on in his career i mean even like metal machine music is a good example of like defiantly doing something that you know you're, you're sticking by it even though you know it's going to really turn a lot of people off you know yeah,
1: yeah. it's funny i i i would almost want to circle back to our initial point on this that um I think it's maybe a little easier for men to be that way than women.
0: Well, like that's why someone like Bjork or Annie Lennox, like they really stand out where you just go like, they're like, they're Lou Reed's.
1: There are less of them. And, but I will say that for me, you know, every, all of us have layers. We contain multitudes. Yes. One, once said, um, and, I think I suspect that there is a deep inner layer in me that is pretty self-assured about what I want to say and what matters to me, and it's very discerning, and I and discerning in a way that I trust. But then there are other layers that are gravely concerned about whether the execution is transmitting that intention the the correct way, mm. and, and it's it's it can be very upsetting and disorienting if if something is is not reading right, you know?
0: Well, because we're always changing, can you go back three albums ago and listen to it and go, yes. Or do yeah. you, or, you, yeah, you can. So that's great.
1: Oh, 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 can I, oh, yes. Oh, I thought you meant like, yes, I, I fucked up there. Yeah, I thought that's no. what you meant. Were you, no. you meant like, yes, I can totally fully stand behind this.
0: Yes, right.
1: Ah. Uh, no, I hardly ever go back and listen to my older work. And occasionally I've had moments where I've caught a song of mine by accident. It'll pop on an older song. And um, and I was like, oh, that sounds good. Oh, it's me. Oh, that's cool. But it almost has to be by accident.
0: Yeah. You know, I've never said this before, but the idea for this show came when I was 15, 15, 16, 17, I started working for a radio station and I was interviewing bands as a teenager. And these bands would come in and I was like a fan, I was a kid and I'd wanna talk about the album, but they, cause to me it was new, but for them it was two years old, right? It was just, they'd cooked it up for two. And they always, I noticed that they were always really excited about the stuff they were currently working on that nobody would hear for two more years. And when I started the show I remembered that and I thought that's artists are relentlessly moving forward. Yeah. Fans are relentlessly moving backward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is a really good point and and that's yeah because we we chase that present moment that magic of being in process, right? And yeah. when it's no longer in process then it's already there is something about it that's not quite alive
0: in the same way that's exactly right and i thought as a as a kid i always thought like oh i bet michael stipe listens to rem albums and it's like now as an adult i go of course he doesn't like i don't look at my old books you don't listen to your old music like why would we (laughs) but i will say this your oeuvre Um, is so distinct and it's so beautiful and affecting and artistic. Like to me, like you're in that space, that that hallowed Lou Reed space to me, because you've always been ferociously who you are as a listener. That's how I've always perceived you. And I've always admired you for that.
1: I really appreciate that. I think that is, that is one of those things that I was talking about, the, that deep inner core layer that, yeah, I I have no choice but to be who I am at that moment. Now, that may not be exactly the same that I will be in 10 years or five years, and I may have a hard time looking back and staring at the five-year-old version of it, but I at least can say that I I am who I am in that
0: moment. That's all we can ask, right? That's it.
1: That's that's good that actually I like you saying that, because I think it will put my mind a little bit at ease, maybe. You know, <laughs> By the way, I gave you a
0: compliment. You took it very well.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm working on it. See? <laughs> yeah.
0: I wonder if the shame thing is also a Jewish thing. I wonder if that's if that's I feel that way, too. I wonder if that's something to do with that.
1: Well, isn't there always like a person whispering as as you're getting a compliment in one ear, isn't there another person whispering in your other ear saying, an invisible person saying, now don't get a new hat, you know, don't, don't stand there all smug and all full of yourself just because you're getting compliment. Like that sounds really nasty, but it's almost like that.
0: Yeah, because you got to keep yourself in check. I'm sure there's some kind of Yiddish proverb about like, that's something about that, like, you know, don't, don't uh, take compliments too much because then you'll become a something. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there's some.
1: Why am I struggling with it so
0: much? <laughs> you should be struggling half as much as I am because I'm full and I've got it all. But um, <laughs> I, I, um, I've wanted to chat with you for so long and I'm so grateful that you took this time and you, I just loved this conversation.
1: Thank you. I do, too. And I love that it was just kind of a loose format conversation about life and art and not so much about like the, you know, publicity bullet points.
0: Yeah. Who are your influences? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Esther, will you will you come back on the show again?
1: Absolutely. I love what you guys do. And 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 I'm so grateful for you being so good to me.
0: Life and art. What else is there? Well, maybe a sandwich in between uh, every now and then. But life and art. Those are the big ones. Esther Balint. I just loved talking to her. She's so great. E S uh, Z T E R B A L I N T dot com. dot com is where you need to go to uh, find out what's happening with her. Her new album, I Hate Memory, is out. Go get it. It is remarkable. She's remarkable. I'm so happy she was on the show. And I'm happy you had a chance to listen. You can follow me on Twitter, sort of. I'm sort of still there. I'm uh, I'm going to change my mind and uh, probably just dump the whole thing at one point. But for now, I'm still on there, at Embers Editor, or on Instagram, at Embers Podcast. Or you can just email me, editor at Stereo Embers Magazine. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station and what makes it tick. I know you know this, but Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Did you know it was all podcast platforms? Not the one that you like, but all of them. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you did. Uh, Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review, and help us spread the word. Thank you in advance for doing all that stuff. Let's close the show with a longer listen. To Art Bodega Nation by Esther Belint from her brand new album, I Hate Memory. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening. To Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio.
2: Art Bodega Nation! Immigrant Art Bodega Garden
0: can't miss a very important party. Everyone will be there. Why do I have to do this? Why can't I just go? I thought you wanted to leave the communist dictatorship. This is just like communist tyranny. Do you think James Chan is his own flyers?
2: What? You think you're a star now? You got picked out of the litter? You think you're hot shit? Mrs. Hot Stuff? Who do you think you are? You got a party with filmmakers? To make a movie? You think that's what matters? Well, guess what? If people say it's so damn good, then maybe it's not all that good, huh? No. Do your work. That's what matters. Can you pay the bills? That's what matters, too. That's it. So pay your respects to your family or your family gonna pull the plug on you. Yeah. You better watch it. Or you're gonna get
0: Stop speaking Hungarian. I don't speak Hungarian anymore.
2: Immigrant art bodega. Where you're heavily accented.